Welcome to today's episode of Real Lives, Real Foster Care, where today we will be introducing Mike and Julie Jones, two foster carers from Clacton-on-Sea, who have devoted the last decade to caring for vulnerable people in the foster caring system. Today we will touch on their motivation behind their decision to fostering, their experience with the lengthy application process and how it generally impacted what they knew to be family life. I think it goes way back, doesn't it, for you? It It goes way back to my first marriage where we were going to foster. I think that comes from two reasons, me being in care myself, but also when running a newsagent in Buckhurst Hill, I had lots of paper around kids who used to come and tell me their problems. And I think that's that put a seed in my head that I could do that full time. I think, um, well, I've always liked kids. And then I always wanted a big family. And obviously when Mike and myself got together, um, we had Jake and Billy, uh, we did want some more children, but it didn't happen. So we sort of talked about fostering as a alternative. And, um, and I just, because I'd had such a settled childhood and such a happy time, I just wanted to give back. In that regard, in those regards, just to give a another child a, an, an experience, mm. a nice settled family experience. So we were both coming from the same. But I, I was I was the polar opposite of Julie's upbringing because mm. I was brought up in the care system, and I was not a very nice child to have in your house. So I rebelled against the system. So for me, fostering is also part of giving back what I took from the system. We didn't feel adoption was the because we had our own children. It mm. wasn't that you know it was, it was just that being able to give an experience, and if it was short term or long term or whatever it happened to be, it would just give that child a, a nice family mm. to be around. So you've mentioned to me before that you originally wanted to come to Clacton to open a children's home. So how did that come about? I was um, running a kids' home for kids with severe disabilities in Plaster, East London, and one of the guys that worked there was wanting to branch out and set up either a care agency or a children's home. So he asked me if I'd go into business with him, so I did. So, yeah, so you went to different areas, probably coastal then, they were coastal areas. Um, Margate didn't have much going for it, mm. and then Clacton, you liked. Mm. And there was a few places that you looked at as potential children's homes, but there was a lot of um, planning permission needed. So but the children's home didn't happen. But because we'd been, you were visiting Clacton a lot to look at these different places and to talk about where to set up the hill, we decided that we really liked Clacton, didn't we? Yeah, and that's why we came here. So had you both sort of, or would you say you'd both always envisioned that you would at some point either professionally or sort of more domestically look after vulnerable children at some point in your life? I think we were we were working with kids at the time because I was at Lindbourne House, mm. Julie was teaching, so she's got 500 kids going through the school all day and we've got 30 or 40 children changing regularly every day at mm. Lindbourne. So I think, you know, to us it was uh, a natural progression. I didn't think I don't think I knew much about fostering when I was younger. Mm. I didn't know anyone who fostered. No. Well, I did because I worked in a lot of care homes. 
and I worked with kids that were very vulnerable, whether or not they had disabilities or learning difficulties, or whether they were violent children, burglars, you know, um, a, a wide genre of, of kids. Mm. So a lot of those we tried to get into foster care. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But then we discussed that we thought we could do as good, if not a better job. And that's when we talked about fostering. When you came to the decision that you decided about we're going to go for it, did you have any friends or family that you knew that had experience with foster care or was it completely new for you both? We didn't know anyone, did we? We didn't know anybody at all. The only thing that I knew that Julie didn't know was I'd been through that process mm. with my ex-wife and we were going to foster, but then things didn't work out in the marriage. So I'd been through the procedure there. But I don't think there's anybody, I couldn't name anybody that we knew. No, I had a friend of uh, my mum and dad's who adopted, so I knew about adoption, but I didn't know much about fostering at all. Was it quite a new thing, perhaps? I mean, I know it was sort of like 15 years ago. Was it sort of not the done thing? Or? Well, what was happening was children's homes were closing down mm. and the whole ethos behind vulnerable children was they're better off in a family than all together in in a home so that was when fostering became i think uh, sort of advertised on the radio and the tv and there was more about it because when we worked at bernardo's which was a children's home of about 10 children all living together with, yeah they were sexually and physically abused with social workers doing shifts as sort of parents playing the parents role um when that got closed suddenly all these parents or adoptee parents came about and all these foster parents suddenly arrived and mm. whereas you know that could have just carried on yeah but because it was closed suddenly they had these new families so I think there was a big drive to there's get more is, people there's fostering. There still is now. You'll yeah, see yeah. every year there's a foster recruitment drive. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And it's there's, a always big one, there's always one in Tangerine and it's always at the Prince's Theatre in Clacton. So did you, when you were sort of, you know, announced to friends and family that you were going to be, you know, fostering, did you come across any sort of negative comments from people like, oh, don't do it? I think they were very, I think very supportive. supportive. I think um, everyone... Um, Family in particular were supportive. I mean, I think again, my mum didn't, mum and dad didn't know much about it, but they supported us. Whatever. Um, my brother and his wife are in that area of work, so they were aware of what was involved. My other brother probably wasn't as aware, no, but he was just as supportive. Um, and friends were just curious. If any, if any comment was made, it was. Oh my God, you're mad! You're you mad. know, you you're gonna you're gonna have them twenty four hours a day. So obviously, you've got two children of your own, Blake and Billy, and like you've got Claire and Matt. Did this impact the decision at all? Or I mean, obviously, you would have considered them being Jake and Billy being younger. We decided to wait until we felt that they were of an age where they could understand. We always said that we never wanted to bring children into the house and for Billy and Jake not to realise why we were doing it and and what to expect. So we felt that Billy was six, just coming up to going into junior school and that he was able to understand. Obviously, Jake was that bit older. So we sort of prepared them by talking about what, what we were doing, why we were doing it. 
but obviously you can't prepare them completely. But we did talk about it for quite a while. Well, for yeah. the whole process of, of leading up to getting a child in the house, we talked about it with them. And yeah, we and and obviously Claire and Matt were part of that process as well. But yeah, we were concerned that it would impact on them. And would you say that they sort of took it in their stride, or was there any you know problems that you did face? No, they, no I think they were amazing. Very, very good. Uh, they were amazing. Not just saying that because they're our kids, all of them, but they could have rebelled because there was other kids taking our attention, but they didn't. But that's because as well we would talk to them and they felt, I think, as well that they could talk to us. I think they were quite settled, friendly, sociable children. They always liked to... They'd always had lots of children around them, mm. being in playgroups, nursery groups, friends around. So there was always other children around them. So I knew that they were able to get on with other children. Mm. They didn't have too many issues. So as obviously foster carers for the last 14 years, um, talk me through your actual job role. So what is it you actually do day to day? Sort of, you know, if you could just pick a day in the life, what would it sort of look like? Well, it's, it's just the normal um, getting getting children up and getting them ready, getting them into a routine in the morning in order to be able to go off to school happy making sure they've got everything that they need, making sure that they're right in, in the right frame of mind, that they look presentable, that they feel good about themselves. Um, so they go off to school, you then are there at the end of the day for them to, to know that you're going to be there so they have that reassurance of who's going to be meeting them. Um, obviously, after-school clubs is just as important for the children to build up their self-esteem and mm. find hobbies and things for the future that they might go into um so taking them to and from wherever um making sure mealtime is a time where you talk about things that are bothering you so that they don't feel that they uh build, you know like hold on to stuff that yeah they... you talk about positives and negatives yeah well, and then um just having a peaceful evening for them to then go to bed at a regular time know that they've know what to expect from bedtime mm. that they're not scared that they set the room up so that they've got everything they need so they feel comfortable and so that they can have a good night's sleep and then during the day there is often phone calls regarding education mm. or there might be a supervision uh, where I have to talk about the children and their health their education and general conversation about how things are in the house. Um, or there might be a support group that I have to attend mm. with training. other social workers or some training um, in order to keep up with all the changes that are happening. Or there might be some paperwork that I need to do, expenses or writing logs. Mm. I have to write about the children uh, monthly uh, in quite a lot of depth. So there's always something. Would you say there's a lot of changes sort of that you are faced with, sort of? I think know? with um, things like gang cultures and exploitation, self harm, drugs, those sort of things. Sort of that's all changing. Right. Okay. Uh, so is it changing in terms of the way you have to sort of approach that topic of conversation, or do you just being aware of what what people are capable of doing mm. and how? because we've got such vulnerable children that we are aware of the dangers and just mm. keeping them safe. At the minute you're providing long-term fostering, but do you 
provide emergency situations at all for children that are perhaps you know removed quickly from their parents no there's always the opportunity around christmas time that you're often asked are you available to take emergencies so you put yourself forward if you feel you are so it is something we could do if we felt it was okay for the family mm-hmm. um, but it's not something we do generally uh, and then we have we have thought done... about it yeah, we have thought, thought about, about it. it because obviously we wouldn't want to think of any child not having somewhere at Christmas. No. And if we had a spare bedroom, then we would, you know, we would have said yes. But, it, you know, it didn't come about. It hasn't come about. So, But it's not something we wouldn't rule out completely. So we've talked a little bit about the application process and it was quite a long-winded one and Mike, you did it before. So, you know, just talk me through what actually happens. It's called an F1 form is massive it's endless and it generally takes a year possibly two years for you to go through the process i think we (laughs) somehow got through a little bit quicker than that i think ours was about nine months i think that's because of our background experience of working with kids you know and working for bananas and working generally with children in care but yeah it's um quite invasive in regards to they talk to all members of your family or majority of members of your family my parents the older children and Jake and Billy were spoken to on several occasions because you build up a relationship with the uh, supervising social worker the she or he stays with you for the whole process hopefully they look at your obviously references for work Uh, you have to be police checked enhanced police check uh, they look at your finances and your background. Uh, they talk about lots of things. You have lots of meetings. Um, yeah, it's a you, big... You have to go right back to as far back as you can remember. So for me, an awful lot of that was talking about being in care. And like I said earlier, what a bit of a naughty lad I was. And and then from there right up to, what, how old would I have been then? 47 years. You just tell them everything because you know you want to you, have to you want open. to foster with the children you've got to be honest yeah. up front and open and that's exactly what we were would you say there was anything that bothered you in terms of like you know talking about you the fact you were in care did it bother you you had to talk about your past if it wasn't, if it wasn't quite a, a happy place no it you? didn't bother me at all i'll talk to anybody about it it's not a problem so you said that the checks sort of involved the boys slightly they had to speak to them was there anything else that they had to go through um they were just asked what how they felt about you know, other children coming in um, and stuff. I think she would um, just build up a relationship with them, really. I think that's Uh, all it was about with Jake and Billy. So they actually trusted her. Mm. If there was an issue in the future that they could feel that they could... She always asked, do they want to talk to me? Mm. Is there anything they need to talk about? So the overall process, do you find it stressful? You know, at times, did you ever think, oh, is this the right thing for me or for the family? It was full on. I wouldn't say it was stressful. No, it I'd wasn't say that stressful. You, you see, you know what the light is at the end of the tunnel. So from the minute, for me, the minute they get in the door for the first time, you've just got to do whatever they want you to do. You've got to be, like you said, truthful, open and honest and speak to them, get it done. Did you have to balance it with, obviously, work commitments? Was that, you know, Yeah, doable? it was always after school. Yeah, yeah well, they, they wouldn't come round for five minutes and a cup of tea. It's like it an hour and a half, two hours of chat, 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 chat being like uh, quizzed I think that's the only thing that impacted on the boys 
was the time that we had to mm. spend talking to social workers. Yeah. So in terms of the checks on the actual house itself, um, did you welcome the idea of people checking the house? Was yeah. fit for purpose? Or? Yeah, it needed to be um, safe and it needed to be, you know, um, as they wanted. So we had to put smoke alarms in. We had to put in locked cupboards, um, make sure we were storing everything correctly. I think it made us more aware of what we hadn't done ourselves to make our own family safe. Because when, when they came in and they're saying, you need this smoke alarm here, 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 and we didn't even have one. No. Not, not where they said. We, we, have, we have them on the landing, we have them downstairs. But we didn't have them in bedrooms. And making sure that um, documents are filed and locked away. But they help you with that as well. But they also they do um, unannounced visits. As, as foster carers, they can turn up any time. They could turn up right now, and we'd have to we let them in, and they'd do a full inspection of the house. Does that bother you, or do you, no. are you happy for that? It's, it's part of being a foster care. So there was no significant change you had to make? No, I think it depends on, on the children you have. I think for some people, is it is there is a big impact. Um, if you've got children trying to escape out of windows and doors and things like mm. that. Yeah, I think we've just been lucky. So about your lifestyle, was there anything that you that needed to be changed? We, we, it's not that we couldn't do. We used to have a belly dancing business called Wiggle It, which is still going now for dancing. But we used to go around the country selling belly dancing gear. We, we were fretting about how we could carry on doing that when we were fostering um, because we needed someone to look after the boys and whoever might be here at the time. But the, the policy with fostering is if you would trust them yourself with this person you don't need our permission we were still able to do what we needed to do and we, we were very very lucky that we had very good babysitters didn't we yeah i think the spontaneity of life went out the window you had to plan everything mm. you had to make sure that everyone was looked after before you did something mm. you couldn't just spontaneously go away or no. do something so because you went from you know being a family of four and then you know i don't know who came at the time but did you find there was a big change in, you know, like practicalities of life, like, the, you know, the food shop and cooking dinners and, you know, just general life itself? Did you find that it changed significantly or did you just sort of take, just take busier. it? Mm. It's just busier. It's just busier. There's, there's just more people around. Yeah, nothing. You know, no, I, I think if you've got two children, you, <laughs> you might have, have five. four children, five children. I think an only child is difficult. Uh, when you've got more than two, they actually help each other and they get on and they play and okay if you cook a meal you just cook a bit of meal so when you finally you know got to the stage where you were about to welcome a new child into your home how did it sort of feel was it a bit surreal because you'd waited all this time oh it was exciting it was, brilliant experience. It was really exciting so, i think although we'd signed up to be long-term carers the council were very good and first of all gave us respite placements so we'd have kids for weekends, and that was a good way of breaking you in to fostering. And I think, I hope they do that now. So when you were doing the respite caring, was it always positive? No, so some of the children were very challenging. It made us look at um, maybe some children wouldn't fit into our yeah, family. No, that's true. We, we took respite, we gave respite to one particular child who was severely autistic, and realised that that wasn't our genre. I think the boys found him difficult because we that, that is a difficult, difficult you know it, yeah. autism is a difficult thing to understand yeah. 
from an adult's point of view, uh, let alone a child's point of view. So are there any areas that you particularly specialise in? We actually signed up for kids with learning difficulties and mm. disabilities. That's what we were. Our, that's what our initial. So we've yeah. never, we've had a couple of children with difficulties, learning difficulties. Haven't we? Yeah, learning difficulties. Yeah. Um, Only short term. Yeah, respite, and there was potential to be long term, weren't they? But as it's turned out, it's it's been generally mainstream. But we did say no to severely disabled, although we were willing to adapt our house. Mm -hmm. I think if it was um, end of life or something like that, we wouldn't be prepared ourselves, not medically trained enough mm. for that. And also, when we initially went into fostering, we said no to sexually abused children because of the boys. But as things change, you can't always say that hasn't happened to the children, so you don't know really. Mm. So when when it came to your long term children that have been placed, did you get a chance to meet them before? In the ideal world, you're supposed to have them for tea one week, and then they come for a day, and then they come for a weekend, and then they might then come permanently. It's not worked out like that. None once. of our kids have done not that. once. We've got them at the door. Here you go. In real life, it's usually an emergency. They need to remove them from the house and they need someone. Let's imagine that you've got a child or children that have come in uh, and they've literally come from nothing. Um, what would be your approach when starting from basics? Usually a shower. <laughs> um, yeah, we just go out and get um, underwear, nightwear, school uniform and some play clothes. Just basic stuff, toothbrushes hairbrushes we hope that they've come with some sort of comfort toy usually otherwise we'll try and produce one and then it's just a case of gradually building up things that toys we, we always have toys in the house and we've always got books but it's getting their own things that just takes time then really has there ever been a case where children have literally turned up with nothing yeah yeah just the clothes on their back the girls we have right now yeah Turned up with nothing. And some plimsolls on their feet. Mm. And is that common? I think for emergency placements, that's very common. Mm. And to get stuff from the house has always been really difficult because the children know what they've left there and they often ask their parents to bring it, but it doesn't materialise. And is that because parents don't want to accept that the kids have gone or they're just trying to have control? or what? I think the things are in too much of a state that it would be embarrassing to bring them how did you sort of feel was it you know did you feel pressured that you know oh my gosh these children are here they're now our responsibility or was it sort of exciting like a you know positive i think it was quite daunting mm. the responsibility i think for us it was very much a they're here now let's get on with it yeah you just think how do they feel you know you've just got to try and put yourself in their position and make it as as enjoyable and as unscary as possible so when sort of you know when they have settled in for the first few hours or perhaps the next day what is your approach with laying down sort of your own straight away straight away start off as you mean to go on because if you just weaken a little bit then they know and you've got to be strong and you've got to be decisive and you've got to be consistent you've got to be fair and you've got to You've got to keep it that way. If you yeah, make yeah, you a rule, you have to follow you through. You stick through with that rule. You have to be hard, you have to be tough. A lot of people would say sometimes, aren't you being a bit too tough? 
what they don't understand is that when kids are in foster care and they've come from a deprived background or they've been allowed at home to do whatever they want to do without rules, without boundaries, that if we don't put rules and boundaries in, they're then going to think that they can do exactly the same. But that's not real life. That's not teaching those children right and wrong. So we would talk to them. We did sit down and we spoke to them the very next day after arriving and said, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. You need to listen to what we say. With, with rules and boundaries, children feel safer. Children know what's expected. Whereas if you've got no rules or boundaries, you just that you're forever pushing and pushing and pushing because you don't know how far you can push. But if they know how far they can push and they know what happens afterwards, what are the consequences to my behaviour, and they're clear about it, then at least they know, shall I push this or not? But you've got to be consistent and you've got to be together on it as well. What about when, in terms of, you know, the children actually settling in? So how long does it sort of take for a child to settle in? comfortably into the house oh good while usually yeah. quite a few months i would yeah, say months. you're being honest about it yeah because they had everything removed from them everything's been taken away they don't understand what's going on like you said before though they come with nothing it must be absolutely confusing for them so you settle them in the best you possibly can i think it's all a blur really for them it really is just a i don't think they even remember that sort of time because it must be so traumatic so they just accept anything that's going to a certain extent that's what we found anyway but you don't see the true child for months and if not years really for them to really relax and become themselves so say you've got you know a new child and you're laying down sort of the law and what's expected and what's not um do you ever feel sort of not bad but sort of like you are being a bit too tough is there, is there ever like you know you feel a bit mm. Oh, sometimes I feel like a right hypocrite. <laughs> I really do. Because I'll say to them, get down from that tree, you're not supposed to be up there, and then think back 40 or 45 years ago, maybe even longer, and think, oh, I remember people telling me that. But unfortunately, I have to implement it. Mm. Whether in my head I'm chuckling away at myself for saying what I'm saying or not, I know I have to teach these kids right from wrong. Because it is hard, I suppose, you know, like telling a child off when you know what they've actually come from it must yeah. be difficult to, to be headstrong and to you know stick to your word and well, especially if you've done it yourself before yeah it's even harder trust yeah. me i think the thing with um what we found is you totally you're continuously reassessing what you how you approach if one thing's not working you have to chat about it and say okay what can we do now what can we do to improve you know for this child this is obviously not helping them or they're just not reacting you know, in the way that we thought they would. And so, yeah, you're totally always reassessing how you're going to deal with situations. Is there ever, you know, a chance or a worry that the placement just, you just don't gel with the child? I think that's the biggest worry initially, isn't it? Are they going to fit in to our family where... Because all you've seen is maybe three lines on a piece of paper about them. Mm. There's never much information at all. So you're just, it is just such a gamble. It's a real gamble. And obviously it takes time to mm. get to know the child and the child to get to know you. So you have to be patient um, and see it through. But sometimes 
it just doesn't work. And have you ever had that where it just doesn't work or have you been fortunate? Yeah, we've had it. Um, we had a couple of girls that we took too quickly on the day. We got a phone call, can we have these two girls? We already had two kids in respite. It's not a respite, long-term care. But these girls, it became quite apparent that these two girls were going to victimise the other two children that were already here by picking on them and hitting them and kicking them and slapping them and pushing them around. And we basically said to the social worker, we can't have that because our job is to look after the other two because yeah. they've been here long term. These two have come in and caused chaos, so I'm afraid they have to be removed. And they were they were removed the next day. So that, to answer your question, they did not gel with the family. Children are so damaged in their early years that it doesn't come out until later years. And so it, you can have a peaceful few years and think, oh, this is great, they fit in. But then when they be around the age of 10, maybe, and then obviously going into teenage years, um, things can change drastically. And what does the process sort of involve if, if you've, you know, come to the decision of a, of a couple that you can't provide or you're not prepared to now provide the care that that child needs and you know that it's, it's causing more damage to both, you know, the, you two and the child? What do you sort of have to do? The social worker will try and put in whatever uh, support they can um, to help you and to help the child and to bring all, all agencies together to say, what can we do to support you? How can we help? They, they, do, they want it to work mm. and we want it to work. If you go back to the case I just said about the two girls, we were very insistent that they went and they did go and the, the social workers totally understood the reasons why and they were removed. But you are normally requested to give what they call a 28 day notice. I've had my ups and downs with social workers in Essex, but the majority of the social workers that we have dealt with through fostering the last 14 years have been outstanding. Join us next time for another episode of Real Lives, Real Foster Care, where we will be discussing the process of contact with family members for foster children and the impact of COVID-19.